Our partners in the good food movement rock. Thanks to Annie's, Cascadian Farm, Moss Adams, Nature's Path, Rhythm Superfoods, Terra Via, and Watson for leading the way to a healthier tomorrow. There's an old story still being told in food. But there are so many inspiring people who refuse to accept this single story and are writing another for the next decade in food. Welcome to the Feeding the Good Food Future podcast. We're happy you're here to join the movement. Michael Pollan loves it. Shoppers seek it. Natural retailers label it. Thanks for tuning in to Feeding the Good Food Future podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Blumenfeld, Senior Food Editor for New Hope Network. And today, we are talking about local food. Unlike the term organic, the USDA does not regulate local labeling, meaning that it is up to restaurants, food manufacturers, and natural retailers to decide for themselves what local food actually means. Some say local food should come from the same state. Others say it should hail from the same region of the country. And still others say it should come from a certain mile radius, such as originating 100 miles from the store selling it. To be honest, it's a little confusing. But what are the benefits of local food? And how can natural retailers go about stocking produce, say, in the northern United States, with bananas in the winter. To answer these questions, we turn to Danielle Vogel, rock star natural retailer based in Washington, D.C. After spending years attempting to pass a climate bill in Congress, this former lawyer decided to change gears and tackle climate change from a retail perspective. She founded Glenn's Garden Market, a full-scale, mission-driven grocery store. With one of the most intensive local sourcing programs we've ever seen, instead of legislative environmental change, Vogel hopes to make progress with every sandwich, every craft beer, and every vegetable sold in her store. This is Feeding the Good Food Future podcast. Let's dig in. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. I will dive right into some of my questions. I'd first like to chat about your start in the natural retail business. You did not begin your career as a grocery store owner. Uh, before founding Glenn's Garden Market, you were a lawyer, um, specifically an environmental counsel for Connecticut Senator Joseph Lieberman. My question is, what sparked you to abandon this post and work on environmental change from a business perspective? The failure of the climate change bill that I was working on in the Senate. So I had been working on Capitol Hill for 10 years. I worked for Democrats and Republicans in the House and the Senate and committees and personal offices on campaigns and district offices. Um, and that was all I ever wanted to do was work for my hometown congressman. Um, but I spent my last two and a half years on the Hill negotiating the last major Senate, change, Senate climate change bill. And it failed miserably, as we all know. We, did not, we were not successful in that effort. Um, but the problem of climate change is only getting worse. And in the absence of a legislative will to change, I decided that I really, frankly, needed to start a business 
that was exclusively intended to make incremental climate change progress. And so I started Glens Garden Market on Earth Day of 2013. Um, it is an all-local grocery store, meaning everything we sell comes from the states of the Chesapeake Bay watershed, with a couple of exceptions um, for things we sort of casually refer to as utility grocery, so things that people need at their neighborhood grocery store. Um, and every single decision we make for the business is made with the environment in mind in ways large and small. Um, that would include, obviously, most impactfully our sourcing decisions, but also things like the fact that we don't offer any paper or plastic bags. We only use reusable bags um, because we are trying to promote the vitality of the Chesapeake Bay watershed, not pollute it. Um, we have a zero waste mandate in our kitchen, meaning that our chefs need to repurpose everything. We don't create any food waste. Um, we offset all of our power generation with wind, which is about three times more expensive, but absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, we have super aggressive recycling and composting programs. Um, we built the entire place using either reclaimed materials or the most energy efficient equipment available on the market. And then we retrofit our equipment to make it even more energy efficient. So even though when you step inside, it looks like a very pretty grocery store, mm -hmm. the place is in every way a little climate change agent. So when you understand all of that background, it's not hard to see why I left um, a career in environmental policy and went into a career in environmental retail. Very cool. Yeah, I haven't been to your store yet, but I've heard some great things about it. And I've definitely see, seen some beautiful photos, too. Thank you. Um, I'd love to chat about your classification of local as well. So you mentioned that almost everything that's in your store is um, from the Chesapeake Bay watershed or um, created from that. But I know that local is also an unregulated term. So yes. why did you classify local uh, according to the watershed as opposed to, say, a hundred mile radius from your store? Sure. Um, because I was trying to be as non-arbitrary as possible. Mm -hmm. So I figured if I put my finger on a map and drew a circle around it, um, I would be sitting there like wondering on which side of Main Street the line was drawn. Um, and that's like not a viable way to source an entire grocery store. Um, so I started thinking more analytically about um, our ecosystem um, and the fact that we are animals and we derive vitality from the water that nourishes us. Um, and it seemed to be a much more logical delineation um, for me in the end to choose rather than sort of, again, like a radius, like many people choose to, to use. Um, we decided that we would source from every state that our watershed touches. So that reaches from New York in the north to Virginia in the south. So the idea is that everything on our shelves was either grown or created within the states of the Chesapeake Bay watershed. Feeding the Good Food feature partner Annie's is on a mission to bring more great tasting organic products to more people and places than ever. Organic for every bunny. Feeding the Good Food Future partner Moss Adams supports companies not only in improving their bottom lines, but also in operating sustainable, health-focused businesses. How best do you explain this narrative to your store customers? Because I'm sure they're really interested and passionate about uh, just eating local foods as well. 
They are. So it's fun because we actually have the maps drawn on the walls in the store. Oh, neat. Um, <laughs> so when people ask for something we would never have on our shelves, um, I walk, you know, Coca-Cola, Duncan Hines, um, <laughs> I walk over and I, I show them the map and then they, you know, you see their eyes light up and they really connect with it. Um, but beyond that, it is embedded in our mission statement. So um, Glens Garden Market exists to make incremental climate change progress by creating and growing relationships with producers that treat their land, their animals, and their ingredients with respect. And when you share that mission with, we don't call them customers, we call them neighbors. So when you share our mission with our neighbors, um, it becomes a lot easier to understand uh, why they can't find certain things in our stores. Um, as your store grew in popularity, did, did you ever have to make exceptions to this local rule? I know that maybe you mentioned that there are some other items, which I assume might be something along the lines of, you know, chocolate or, or you know, black pepper or something that obviously doesn't grow there. Um, but aside from that, have you ever made exceptions to that rule if something like, I don't know, what do you do in, in the off season in the winter months? So until now, we have had a very lean produce department in the off season. I mean, you can find like Brussels sprouts, apples and leeks right now in the produce department. That's it. Mm -hmm. um, but the answer is yes. I made my first sacrifice um, 48 hours into being in business mm -hmm. when I put orange juice on the shelf for the first time. Um, and I had a rule early on if we were going to make any exceptions, number one, um, the items that are non-indigenous have to be certified organic. And number two, I have to be the one to put them on the shelves because I wanted to feel every single compromise. Mm -hmm. um, now, we've made several of them over the years because there are, sort of as I mentioned in the beginning, there are things that people need their grocery store to have. So orange juice would be one. Um, you know, canned vegetables is another. Um, canned tuna fish, oils. We don't have around here, as you mentioned, spices are another thing. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we try to confine it to the list of what we call utility grocery items. Um, so up until now, we have never, ever looked beyond the watershed for uh, meat, cheese, charcuterie, any kind of dairy product, no non-local produce. We don't make any exceptions in, in beer, cider, mead, wine. Um, the only place we've ever bent the rules is in grocery. Um, but I will tell you that that is about to change um, for one simple reason. Uh, I was doing some opposition research recently, and I went into a Whole Foods. Mm -hmm. And it's not hard to do this research because every other person walking through the doors has a Glens Garden Market shopping bag. Oh, uh, okay. So all you really have to do is follow them and watch what they're putting into their baskets to understand why they would go there instead of coming to our stores. Um, and I noticed something uh, undeniable um, and quite interesting, which was that they were shopping for lots of stuff we sell. Um, from like yogurt and eggs to, you know, sort of offbeat produce. I mean, I watched them put leeks in their baskets. Um, but then they would also pick up an avocado or maybe they would pick up a lemon. Um, and these are things that we have adamantly opposed selling in the mm -hmm. past. And what I realized in watching them make their way through Whole Foods and fill their bar their baskets with, you know, industrially produced nonsense, frankly, was that we totally lose control of that entire shopping basket when someone chooses to go somewhere else. And I really had to do some like deep diving into my soul to conclude that 
if we really want to maximize our change agency, we have to sell them the things that they're looking for because that way we get to make sure that the eggs and the dairy products and the rest of the produce uh, are all created with integrity. Um, they're not coming in from you know Mexico from workers that were mistreated and underpaid. So to the extent that we can control um, the sourcing integrity of everything that passes through our doors, which we do uh, very carefully. Um, if we make some exceptions that sort of reach beyond what we've typically done that for, um, meaning things like bananas and avocados, um, then we really can, in fact, magnify the amount of change we're able to make. Hmm. That's super interesting. Um, and it kind of leads into my my next question as well. So I guess aside from making these exceptions, which seems extremely hard for you personally to make that choice. Um, what would you say is the hardest part about running a, a local grocery store? Do you have to juggle accounts with individual companies or can you still rely on uh, distributors to make things a little easier? Uh, no, we like to say we're playing the game of running an independent grocery store on the level extra hard. Okay. Uh, we deal with almost 400 different vendors. Oh my goodness. That so, is crazy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's Monday afternoon as we're talking today. I just, um, I'm in between stores right now, but every single Monday, um, I walk the store in Shaw and I take my movement reports, which are the reports that show you how many jars of jelly you sold last week. And I, by hand, I write like, okay, we need four more of these and two more of these. And I send an email to the owner of the small business that produced the jelly. And I say, you know, Hey, um, Nicoletta, your jams did beautifully this week. Can we have like another half case of blueberry? Mm -hmm. uh, but this is a bit, it's like as small time as it gets, but that high touch, um, on these vendors, uh, with whom we have such a symbiotic relationship, um, is super important to me. Mm -hmm. So I do it. Um, that's not to say we don't get anything from distribution because we do, we work with, you know, one of the biggest national distributors, it's called United natural foods, um, to get the stuff that's frankly like less special. Um, so like the commodity stuff, mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like the, the small batch specialty foods, like the really, really special stuff, we are ordering those individually from the people that make them, um, which really, really distinguishes us because there is a very high percentage of our inventory that walks through the front doors in the arms of the person that made it. Um, wow. And they probably made it this week and they probably made it up the street from the store, um, which creates not only a very special connection between the stores and our vendors, um, but between the vendors and the communities that they're nourishing, um, which is a very, very neat community um, to be a part of. Yeah, and how cool is it for your um, your shoppers to see the vendor come in through the door? I mean, that is, they actually know who's producing their food that they're buying. So that's a pretty special experience. It's so cool. So it, one of our values is that we grow small businesses along with our own. Um, in the last three and a half years, we've launched 65 local food businesses, meaning that we've given 65 food entrepreneurs their very first chance to sell their products on our shelves. Um, of those 65, 35 are women-owned companies, wow. and 48 of them produce right here in the district. Mm -hmm. So every year we throw ourselves a birthday party because I, I mentioned we, we opened on Earth Day. So every year we throw ourselves an Earth Day birthday party. And last year the theme of the party was women of the watershed. 
So at that point, we had only launched 25 women-owned companies, but we invited them all into the store to do demos, to meet the neighbors. Um, and people like really love connecting with the women and the artisans that make their food. It's a very special nexus um, between nourishment and environmentalism um, and shared values, frankly. How best does prioritizing local help mitigate climate change? What is it about local that can eventually make our air fresher, our water cleaner, and our soil more fertile? That's a really great and important question. Thank you for asking it. Um, So there are a couple of things. Um, Number one, you are naturally, you're minimizing transportation and refrigeration emissions. So you're talking about products that are not coming from very far away. Um, as opposed to ones that may have bopped across the country in the back of an 18-wheeler. Now, refrigeration is incredibly carbon-intensive. The main chemical in refrigerant are hydrofluorocarbons, and they are 12,000 times more carbon-intensive than CO2. So the less you can introduce refrigeration into the process, the better off the environment is. So that's number one. Number two, um, we don't do business with huge scale agricultural operations. Um, Agriculture is responsible for 33% of our national emissions. Um, Another third of it is power generation. Another third of it is transportation emissions. So if what we're doing is displacing demand for industrially produced food by growing relationships with farmers and ranchers that treat their land, their animals, and their ingredients with respect, what that means is we're filling our shelves with products that are that have a significantly reduced environmental impact um, when it comes to things like we don't do business with folks that use pesticides or fungicides. Um, we don't do business with people that treat their proteins with um, any kind of hormones or antibiotics. Um, so it would be possible to get a local product that's still ultra bad for the environment, right. for sure. I mean, somebody lives next to the Coca-Cola factory, um, but we just don't do business business with those vendors. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's that's really interesting because I, I did have a question on here, um, and obviously it doesn't really relate to your store because you don't do business with these types of farms, but not all local produce is organic or non-GMO and what have you. So, you know, you could have farms 10 miles from a retail store that sprays with herbicides and pesticides. Maybe on a larger scale, uh, in your opinion, what takes precedent? Is it local or is it organic? Um, So we do not prioritize organic certification um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's usually a five to seven year process. Mm -hmm. Um, Number two, it costs on average $10,000 to get certified. So instead we seek out vendors that are doing the right thing Um, But as we put it in Glenn's world, not wearing the T-shirt about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the organic certification process really was developed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, It is a lot easier for big operations to get certified than it is for the little guys that are just starting up um, because they don't necessarily have the money. And frankly, they may not have been around long enough to go through the process. Um, So we definitely we prioritize sustainability in agriculture practices over the organic certification itself, unless the product is not local. So as we step into this new Glenn's era of selling things like bananas and avocados, we've created a rigorous sourcing standard 
um, that's actually based on the judging criteria for the National Good Food Awards. Um, and so we, we won't necessarily be looking for certified organic for the reasons that I just mentioned, but we will be asking vendors to certify that they don't use pesticides, they don't use fungicides, they are um, actively working to improve their communities, to provide a living wage, to provide hospitable working conditions. Um, we really think of them as sort of beyond organic sourcing standards. Right. And of course, if you do have a USDA certification, that's one way that they can prove to you that they're not using certain synthetic chemicals. Exactly. So USDA certified is one thing. Um, fair trade certified is even better because they're looking at things other than just uh, the chemical use. They're looking at, at fair wages and, and working conditions and stuff um, that we're very concerned about as well. Really interesting. Well, Danielle, thank you so much for joining us today. You've definitely expanded my understanding of local sourcing, and I really admire your commitment to using business as a force for good. Thank you, Jen. It was really a pleasure speaking with you. I appreciate your time. Great. Thank you. How are you feeding the good food future? From your healthy breakfast to the food movement happening in your community, let us know on social with the hashtag FGFF.